In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Christos Anesti. Masia come. Christos Voskresi. Christ is risen. Amen. Beloved in Christ, I greet you on this fourth Sunday after Pascha and also on Mother's Day. And I wanted to give a little, a little word about mothers. Just a brief one. First of all, to thank all of the mothers in our community who have brought children into the world and who have begotten spiritual children too by the grace of the Holy Spirit who have been sponsors to many of those who have converted to orthodoxy here. Thank you for your labor of love. Beloved in Christ, I remind you mothers that your role as a mother is not just a, a symbolic one uh, in the superficial sense, but it is truly an effective one. If you read the lives of the saints, one common theme that you will hear repeatedly is that many of those who acquired to a high level of sanctity, of holiness in their lives, had praying mothers, praying mothers. And we know by the teaching of the Holy Apostle James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But we would also say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous mother availeth much. And the teaching of the fathers of the church is that when a mother intercedes for her children in particular, she becomes like a power pole conveying the energy of God to her children for whom she is praying. Now you do have a beautiful lesson in today's gospel about the effect of your prayer and whether or not you always get to see the effect. Don't be discouraged when you don't see the immediate effect of your prayers on those for whom you are praying. We heard Christ even telling his disciples, you're seeing the harvest being reaped, but there were many who came before you and sowed and tilled and watered before you. One reaps, another sows. So mothers, you've done an incredible act of love by bringing us into the world. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us into the world. We're thankful for that. But we're not only thankful for that, because you're not only a conduit for mankind to come into the world, but you also, in a special, a quite wonderful and unique way, you have a charism. There is a charism that only belongs to mothers, and that is a charism of heartfelt intercession that... None of us men especially will understand. The only way, I've mentioned this to you before, but the only way I've come to get a little glimpse of that selfless love of motherhood is by contemplating the place of the Theotokos in the church and the unique intimacy, the unique bond that she has with her son, Christ. I've heard it said that when a mother presents herself before Christ on the day of judgment, she either presents her children to Christ, or the calluses on her knees from the many hours spent interceding for them, and probably both, actually. 
But thank you, mothers, and we ask, we beseech you to pray for us as you understand love in a special way, in a God-given, in a grace-filled way. I encourage you to, uh, to relish in what a great gift that you've been given. And again, we thank you. I'd like to comment on today's gospel reading a little bit. Reading some of the, the patristic writings and listening to the hymns of the church, we hear so many beautiful, beautiful themes. Of course, it's kind of a longer gospel reading for a Sunday morning. Not quite as long as the first Passion Gospel that we hear on Holy Thursday evening, but a pretty good-sized reading. And this is known as the longest recorded a dialogue that Christ had with any person. The longest conversation that he had with someone captured in Scripture. So it's full of precious teachings. And during this time, as you know, we're in between the time of the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit is always likened to wind, but also likened to water that refreshes and gives life. And so throughout the teachings of the church, every time we encounter this language of water, we're reminded of the life-giving of God the waters of baptism, but also the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. And when Christ is talking with this woman, whom we now know to be Saint Fotini, we call her the great martyr Fotini, who went on to die for her faith and to convert her children to the faith and many others. We know that when he was speaking to her, that water for which she was seeking wasn't ultimately physical water, but the water that comes from above by the, the grace of the Holy Spirit. And that's the water of which Christ was speaking. We were reading a little reflection by St. Augustine. I believe it was last night, or maybe it was during the week. But Christ was presented here as the Savior who thirsts for those who are thirsty. He is the one who thirsts for those who are thirsty. The woman at the well knew what it meant to be fraught with longing. She knew what it meant to be physically thirsty, but also to be spiritually thirsty. She did not know how to ultimately quench her thirst. So she kept trying. Go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. When you say you have no husband, you have had five before. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So we see here in her life an indication, a thirst, a longing, a desire for something that she's grasping for but not finding. She didn't know how to quench that thirst, that thirst for intimacy. And I think, isn't this what we're doing oftentimes when we we're struggling and toiling, even in sin? 
When we're struggling in sin, we're grasping, we're trying to grab at something. Are we not seeking and grasping for something to answer our longing to meet our deep need? Something beautiful, so many beautiful symbols in this dialogue. She says to Christ, how will you get water? The well is deep. Christ desires to draw not only from a physical well to drink, which would have been scandalous today because the Jews and the Sumerians did not share utensils or anything. But she says, how will you draw? The well is deep. And the well that he ends up drawing from in what was seemingly an impossible manner was from the depths of the heart of this who would be a heretical woman who should have just been written off, who had been written off by the Jewish people. Now the church sees in this dialogue between Christ and St. Fotini an indication of the conversion of the Gentiles too. And that all distinction among men and women and races will be overcome. That all who seek to draw near to Christ will become inextricably bound to one another by the grace of the Holy Spirit, by the water that flows forth from Him. He brings forth the identity of man and woman from the depth of his or her being. Sometimes it seems like when you look into the heart of man, you just are struck by how deep and fathomless the abyss is, the mystery of iniquity, the darkness within us. But Christ reaches down within and brings forth our identity from that well and reveals to us who we are. And it's a love and longing that, for, that we have, but also that He has for us that draws us in that draws us close to Him. It's a love and longing that He has for us and that we've been searching for in so many ways that allows us to finally hear His voice that is kind of wooing us in, that's coaxing our heart, that's co coaxing us as the Beloved. There's a line from the prophecy of Jeremiah that's sometimes translated, O oh Lord, you seduced me, and I was seduced. You seduced me, and I was seduced. You were more powerful than me, and I was overtaken by you. I love that because it expresses the deep longing of every person for union with God. And also, it reveals to us that we have the ability to overcome the seductions of the world in order to be seduced by God, to be drawn in to an intimate relationship with Him. When reflecting on this fact, I was reminded of a story from the book, The Way of a Pilgrim, which I don't think I've ever read to you, and I thought I would share it with you this morning as an example of this kind of being drawn in to a relationship with God in an unexpected way, just like St. Fotini was. It comes from the book, The Way of a Pilgrim, when the main character is, has encountered some problems and he meets a military man. And he tells the story about how our protagonist had lost 
his beloved spiritual book called the Philokalia that had been taken by some soldiers. And he's frantic, trying to find out what to do. And he comes upon this man who also loves God. And the man tells him a beautiful story about how God transformed his life. And it goes like this. The man says, ever since I was a young man, I have been with the army in the field and not on garrison service. I knew my job and my superior officers liked me for a conscientious second lieutenant. Still, I was young and so were my friends. Unhappily, I took to drink and drunkenness became a regular passion with me. So long as I kept away from drink, I was a good officer. But when I gave way to it, I was no good for anything for six weeks at a time. They bore me, they bore with me for a long while. But the end of it was that after being thoroughly rude while drunk to my commanding officer, I was cashiered and transferred to a garrison as a private soldier for three years. I was threatened with still more severe punishment if I did not give up drinking and mend my ways. Even in this miserable state of affairs, however, much I tried, I could not regain my self-control nor cure myself. I found it impossible to get rid of my passion for drink, and it was decided to send me to a disciplinary corps. When I was informed of this, I was at my wit's end. I was in barracks, occupied with my wretched thoughts, and there arrived a monk who was going around collecting for a church. We each of us gave him what we could. He came up to me and asked why I was so unhappy, and I talked to him and told him my troubles. He sympathized with me and said, the same thing happened to my own brother. And what do you think helped him? His spiritual father gave him a copy of the Gospels with strict orders to read a chapter without a moment's delay every time he felt a longing for wine coming over him. If the, desired, the desire continued, he was to read a second chapter and so on. That is what my brother did. And at the end of a very short time, his drunkenness came to an end. It's now 15 years since he touched a drop of alcohol. You do the same, and you will see how that will help you. I have a copy of the Gospels, which you must let me bring to you. I listened to him, and then I said, How can your Gospels help me since all efforts on my own and all the medical treatment I have, have failed to stop me drinking? I talked in this way because I had not yet ever been in the habit of reading the Gospels. Don't say that, replied the monk. I assure you that it will be a help. As a matter of fact, the next day he brought me this very copy. I opened it, took a glance and said, I cannot accept it. I'm not used to church Slavonic and don't understand it. But the monk went on to assure me that in the very words of the Gospel, there lay gracious power, for in them was written what God himself had spoken. It does not matter very much if at first you do not understand. Go on reading diligently. A monk once said, if you do not understand the word of God, the devils understand what you are reading and tremble. And your drunkenness is certainly the work of devils. And here is another thing I will tell you. St. John Chrysostom writes that even a room in which a copy of the Gospels is kept holds the spirits of darkness at bay and becomes an unpromising field for their wiles. I forget what I gave the monk. I bought his book of the Gospels, put it away in a trunk with my other things, and forgot it. 
Some while afterward, a bout of drunkenness threatened me. An irresistible desire for drink drove me hurriedly to open my trunk to get some money and rush off to the public house. But the first thing my eyes fell on was the copy of the Gospels. And all that the monk had said came back vividly to my mind. I opened the book and began to read the first chapter of St. Matthew. I got to the end of it without understanding a word. Stella remembered what the monk had said, no matter if you do not understand, go on reading diligently. Come, said I, I must read the second chapter. And I did so, began to understand a little. So I started on the third chapter, and when the barracks bell began to ring, everyone had to go to bed. No one was allowed to go out, and I had to stay where I was. Then I got up in the morning. I was just at the point of going out to get some wine, when suddenly I thought, supposing I were to read another chapter, what would be the result? I read it and did not go to the public house. Again, I felt the craving, and again I read a chapter. I felt a certain amount of relief. This encouraged me. And from that time on, whenever I felt the need of drink, I used to read a chapter of the Gospels. What is more, as time went on, things got better and better. And by the time I had finished all four Gospels, my drunkenness was absolutely a thing of the past. And I felt nothing but disgust for it. It is just 20 years now since I drank a drop of alcohol. Everybody was astonished about the change brought about in me. Some three years later, my commission was restored to me. In due course, I was promoted and finally got my majority. I married. I am blessed with a good wife. We have made a position for ourselves. And so thank God we go on living our life. As far as we can, we help the poor and give hospitality to pilgrims. Why? Now, I have a son who is an officer and a first-rate fellow. And mark this, since the time when I was cured of drunkenness, I have lived under the vow to read the Gospels every single day of my life, one whole Gospel every 24 hours. And I let nothing whatever hinder me. I do this still. If I'm exceedingly pressed with busyness and unusually tired, I lie down and get my wife or my son to read the whole of one of the evangelists to me and so avoid breaking my rule. By way of thanksgiving and for the glory of God, I have had this book of the Gospels mounted in pure silver, and I always carry it in my breast pocket. What you have here is the story of another person who was addicted to something, who was caught captive by the seductions of the world, and by the grace of God, he was taught to replace one addiction with another. And beloved in Christ, that's what we need to learn how to do. To replace the seduction and self-destructive addictions of the world with holy ones. With the, can you imagine telling your friends I'm addicted to reading the gospel? I'd like to hear one of you say that. I hope you say it with the right motive, but I would love to hear some, I cannot go a day without reading the gospel. I cannot go a day without saying the Jesus prayer. I cannot go a day without heeding the Lord's words. When you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. The fathers of the church even teach us that when we learn how to pray in obedience to God, trusting that his grace works through these inspired activities that the words 
of the gospel that are pronounced and the prayers that are said become like food in our mouth. And I will tell you, they become even more satisfying than the food of the world. It's absolutely true. And we need this reminder during the bright season when we're still enjoying ourselves and overindulging sometimes. And so one of the questions that I would ask you and myself is that what are the things that we are drawn in by? What are the things that we are so easily seduced by? And what are the solutions that we so easily seek for the existential problems that we have that are not being solved? What are the things that we do continually that we regret? We think, oh, I can't wait for the next fasting season because I need to learn how to fast from this or that. But I want to let you know that there are certain things that we do not have to fast from ever, whether it's the bright season or Great Lent or the Apostles Fast, Dormition Fast or the Nativity Fast, whatever time of year it is, prayer is something that you never have to fast from. And if you spend time in prayer, you will never regret it. You do not have to fast and you should not fast from reading the Gospels, especially the Gospels and the rest of the Holy Scriptures. You do not have to fast, beloved in Christ, at any time for the pursuit of, pursuit of virtue. Do not fast from kindness. Don't fast from joy and peacemaking. These are things that you can always turn your attention to and do, and you will not regret it. Now, sometimes in our insecurity, forgive me, I will wrap up. But sometimes in our insecurity, we do what we think is right and it doesn't yield an immediate result. And that is a cause of concern for us. But remember, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the height of love is to learn how to give without to experience the freedom to do what's right, without needing a recompense to go forth from yourself and to receive from the abundance of God's love a well that will spring up within you if you long for that satisfaction and not a worldly consolation. Then you will do acts of love and kindness. Then you will pray and read the Gospels and you won't wonder, what's next? What am I supposed to get out of this? You got out of it. The words of God were spoken to you and spoken through you. The love of God was revealed through you. You became the very hands of Christ to someone who would have felt abandoned if you had not reached out and touched them. So beloved in Christ, I encourage you this week, look for those seductions in your life that you're so easily drawn into and too easily drawn into the path of least resistance that often lead to regret or a feeling of emptiness. And deeply consider, I'm not telling you to read the gospel, the one of the gospel books every single day. But consider replacing your worldly seductions and addictions with holy ones, the ones that you regret, with ones that you will never regret. Run like St. Fotini to the well. 
thinking that you're looking for water, but finding the God-man, the wellspring of life instead, and then dropping your worldly buckets because you don't need them anymore because he gives you what you need. And be touched by him, be fed by him, be quenched by him, be satisfied by him, be loved by the lover of mankind, beloved in Christ. I beseech you today to satisfy the thirst of the Savior who thirsts for you by drawing near to him. Look for water to drink. And my prayer is that by seeking the water of your most intense, seeking to fulfill the most intense longing within you, that you will find the water that is born forth from the rock who is Christ, who loves you and redeems you. May he be glorified in our lives always, now and forever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed.